Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. Great to be with you here today. And we are in a, a series that's called Dumb Things, Dumb Things the Smart Christians Do. Because we are not immune from making bad decisions, from doing dumb things. And today we're talking about the dumb thing that we'll fall into the trap of, of making bad decisions, even as believers. How many of you know that our lives are incredibly shaped by the decisions we make? Not entirely. Some, some things happen to us, but most of the things that shape our lives happen because of the decisions we make. In fact, right here, right now, for, for good or for bad, you are here largely because of the decisions that you made. And the decisions that we're going to make going forward into our futures are going to shape both the direction and the quality of our lives. So they're very important if we want to have quality lives, if we want to have lives that are fruitful and blessed and where we experience the favor of God and of man, I'll tell you the decisions we make, not just from our past, but going forward are incredibly important. Decisions are what drive our doing. Decisions are what drive our doing. What we decide is what we do. You pick that up? What we decide is what we do. So unless you're having a seizure, like, oh, you know, it's like, I did not choose to do that. I did not decide to have that seizure. Unless you're having a seizure, everything that you do is something that you have processed internally in that decision-making process, and then you carry it out. So in other words, it's like the, the decision-making process is that internal, like figuring things out that then we bring external through our actions. What we decide is what we do, so they're very, very important. And we make thousands of decisions every single day. Thousands of decisions. There were some researchers at Cornell University who, did, through research, found this. They found that the typical person makes 219 decisions every day just about what they eat and drink. I mean, just about what's going down the hatch, 219 decisions every day, typical person, typical day. We make thousands of decisions every day. Some of them are small, maybe about like what, what we're choosing to eat or drink. Other decisions are huge. But even the small ones can be very, very important. Because if we want to hit the target, if we want to hit what we're aiming for, man, those decision-making process, even the little ones can make a big difference. If we're just one degree off, if we're just one degree off, as we move forward, it has big consequences in our life. Now, I'm going to give you some measurements right here. If you're just one degree off and you just travel one foot, like you may not even realize you're like off track a little bit because it's only going to take you point two 
inches, like 0.2 inches off in one foot. You may not even realize because that's just so little, right? But if you go just the length of a football field, guess what? You're going to have missed the target by over five feet. And then if you go further, if you go a mile, you are going to be off by 90 feet. That's, that's pretty huge. Just, just in one mile down the road, you're going to probably go more than one mile today just to get home. Would you want to end up at your neighbor's home or down the street or around the corner? And if you were to set your target to the moon and we're just one degree off, you would miss the moon, miss your target by over 4,000 miles. So even things that we think are maybe small decisions are important because they all matter. The big weighty decisions and even just the little ones are very, very important. And let's all admit it, we've all been dumb and we have all made some real bad decisions in our lifetime. Way more than one degree off trajectory. We're like, we go the opposite way on some of our decision makings. And I'm right there with you on that. I have made some doozies of bad decisions. In fact, I'd be too embarrassed to stand up here and tell you about some of the bad decisions I've made, especially the ones that didn't just hurt me, but hurt others around me. Because our decisions are not made in this little me bubble that only impact me, our decisions impact others as well. I think probably my worst decisions have been decisions that have hurt other people. I remember one time, one of my decisions that I had made that hurt someone else had left me so distraught that even years later, I was still oh, so grieved about that decision. And then I ran into the person like years afterwards at an event and I saw the person, I'm like, oh. And like my heart was brought right back to that grief that I'd been carrying because of that dumb decision I made that had hurt that person. And so I, I found a moment, I, I grabbed the individual, I pulled them off to the side, I reminded them about the dumb decision that I had made that had hurt them, and I repented and said, would you please forgive me for that decision that I made? And they, they got this big smile on their face. And they, they said, don't you remember? You asked for my forgiveness years ago about that. We're all good. It's like, oh, Yay. I mean, I was so distraught over the bad decision that I'd made. I'd totally forgotten. I'd already been forgiven. I mean, it's like because they impact us so deeply. Our decisions matter. And they should really matter to us. And I'll tell you, they really, really matter to God. We can tell because his word, the Bible, is packed with stories about people making decisions, some really good decisions and others really bad. It's one of the reasons I believe the Bible is true because when we read scripture, guess what? He, God never sugarcoats reality and is totally willing to say, tell us stories about people who really blew it and messed up. I mean, just when you're reading through the New Testament, don't even, don't even go, go back to the Old Testament, just go to the New Testament. And we find stories of betrayal. We find stories of sexual brokenness. 
We find all kinds of stories, even like there's a story of racial discrimination. And these were things that were happening inside the church, not out of it. If we went beyond the church, man, you could read all kinds of decisions people were making that were so bad, so broken, and ended in some disaster. God cares about the decision we're, make, we're making. And he doesn't just give us stories. The Bible is also packed with wisdom about how, with God's help, our lives can be transformed. And that even the decision-making processes that we entered into can, can move and shift from making really bad decisions, ones that end in misery and in death, to ones that can be transformed into something that are beautiful and that lead to life, lead to health, lead to fruitfulness. So why do we make decisions, or make dumb decisions in the first place? I mean, nobody gets up in the morning and says, man, I'm really gonna make a doozy of a bad decision today. So why, why do we, how, how do we slip into this, these dumb decisions? But when you read through the New Testament, over and over again, we're confronted by this idea of our sin nature, of our sin nature. And, and what we find is that something of this flesh, right, our senses, our bodies, there's something about that sin nature that remains attached to our flesh throughout our entire lives. Whether we've come to Jesus or not yet, whether we've surrendered our life to Christ or not yet, there's something about the sin nature that remains kind of attached to our flesh all the way, all the way through our lifetimes. And we see that over and over again through the New Testament. And this sin nature is what is urging us to make bad decisions. Have you ever had one of those urges? Come on now. Just being urged in the wrong direction. Oh, come to me. This won't be bad. You only live once. How bad could it really be? You know, God will forgive you. All those sort of things, right? And it's like we get these urges, and the Bible talks about this sin nature that keeps tugging on us in the wrong direction to make bad decisions. And I love the fact that the Apostle Paul, who wrote a, a big portion of the New Testament, is someone who describes that, hey, I, I have the same thing. I get those urges as well. In Romans 7, 18 through 25, man, he depicts this very, very uh, intently and, and accurately. I think we can all, all relate. Because here we read, Paul's writing says, I know, I know that nothing good lives in me. That is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war. Everybody say war. war. There's this war going on, this tug of War, there is a war that is uh, going on within my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. We can all relate. 
It's like, oh, this is terrible. I hate this. What's going on in me? Who will free me from this life? Listen to these words, very important, that is dominated by sin and death. Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Woo! See, Paul is reminding us that as long as we're alive, there's, there's this tug of war going on in our soul that is leading us, urging us to make bad decisions, head into just sin, head into things that are gonna lead us away from life in Christ as long as we are alive. But before we had come to Christ, before we had put our trust in him, the only thing that we had pulling against that sinful nature was our willpower. How'd that go for you? How's that working? Because that is a losing battle, right? Me and myself against that sinful uh, nature urging me to make bad decisions is a losing battle. None of us could win that fight very often. So, and I love what Paul says here. He says, because our lives were dominated by sin. So there was this dominance. It's like, you know, it's like, you know, your, your little league team, you know, playing against the Dodgers. Even against the Giants, you know. Maybe. But I mean, it's, it's, like there, it's like it was so lopsided. It was so lopsided, our lives were dominated by sin and death. But, and here's the good news, because he asked these questions, like how can I keep from falling into these urges that my sinful nature would lead me to? And he's like, thank God that this domination is broken. How? In Jesus. In Jesus, he says, thank God the answer is in Jesus. Jesus Christ, our Lord. Because as long as we're alive, there's this tug of war going on between my flesh and my spirit. Before I knew Jesus, it was just me and my willpower trying to fight. But here's the great news. Thank God that when we give our lives to Jesus, that God is now on our side. So yes, there's still a tug of war going on, but it ain't just me pulling against sin and hell. Guess what? There's God saying, come on, we've got this together. I'm gonna empower you by my spirit. I'm gonna give you wisdom that you didn't used to have. I'm gonna help you in your time of need. We've got this because you are no longer dominated by sin and death. Is it still there? Mm Mm-hmm, it's still there. Tug of war is still going on, but you ain't gotta lose. You can win with Jesus on your side. And we do not have to be trapped into perpetually making bad decision after bad decision. We can move forward in a life where our decisions are building us up, building up others around us and leading us more towards Christ. So here's the question. How can we become smarter when it comes to making decisions and move beyond these dumb things we've done making bad decisions? Obviously, I mean, we could do a whole entire series, right, just on this one question. How can we get smarter about the decisions we're making? We could, we could talk for months about this. But today, we're just going to look at one, 
passage from Romans, something that Paul wrote. And then out of that one passage, we're going to form three questions, just three. You can add lots more, and, and, you know, and I could help you if you really want to wrestle. We could talk about it and come up with a lot more questions. But we're going to look at one passage and then form three questions from that passage that I think can help us in any type of decision-making process that we enter into. So first we're going to turn to this passage. Paul's writing to the church in Rome. And this is in chapter 14, verse, four verses, verses 20 through 23. And Paul starts out talking about food, okay? He, asks, he says, don't tear apart the work of God over what you eat, right? Part of those 219 decisions we make every day. Paul says, yeah, don't tear apart the work of God. In other words, don't make bad decisions about what you eat. So let's pause there just for a second. You can keep the scripture up there. But I want to I tell you kind of the backstory to this. Why, why was Paul addressing this about maybe making bad decisions about what you eat, tearing apart the work of God? It's because of this. In, in the day in which Paul was writing to the church in Rome, there was something weird going on with food. Some of the people who were pagans, you know, weren't part of the church, just pagans living their lives, running grocery stores and markets, right? They would sacrifice that food that they were going to sell, they would sacrifice it to their idols, to, the, to their gods. And when you, when you read scripture beyond this one story, what you find out is that like some of the Christians were like, dude, Idols ain't nothing. They're just false gods anyway. So who cares if this food was offered up to an idol? Doesn't matter because I serve the one true God. I can eat whatever I want. Other believers, okay, who maybe hadn't grown that far in their faith yet, were like, oh, this looks terrible. Why, why would I consume something that has been offered up to another God? And so there was this conflict because the Christians that thought, oh, you could never eat something that had been you know, offered up to an, an idol, they would, they would see the shrams. They're looking at the shram fam. And they're seeing them in there, like, eating this food, like it was offered up to an idol. And they're like, what, what, what the heck? What, what's going on? I, 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 don't, I don't understand. And so people were actually leaving the church and walking away from their faith in Jesus because of what they saw other people doing. That was the big deal about food. So Paul, let's go back. Romans 14, 20, and he says, don't tear apart the work of God over what you eat. Okay, then he goes on, remember, all foods are acceptable. All foods, the shrimps can eat whatever they want. All foods are acceptable, but it is wrong to eat something if it makes another person stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else if it might cause another believer to stumble. You may believe there's nothing wrong with what you're doing, but keep it between yourself and God. In other words, don't beat people up with what your perspective is, right? Don't take your perspective, I can eat whatever I want. 
and you're pummeling other people with what you think. Or on the other hand, no, you can't. You're sinning. You're doing wrong. Right? It says, hey, what you think about this, fantastic. Keep it between you and God. I pray about it. Okay? Blessed are those who don't feel guilty for doing something they've decided is right. Okay? Between you and God. Not like, I think this is right. But no, it's like, no, but I brought this before the Lord. And now I have a confidence in the choice that I'm making. Okay, but, but if you have doubts about whether or not you should eat something. In other words, you don't have peace about this, but you're doing it anyway, you're sinning if you go ahead and do it. For you are not following your convictions. Anything that is not done in faith is sin. Would you repeat that last line? Just say it along with me. Anything that is not done in faith is sin. Great passage here, not just about food, right? The food we eat, or do we drink wine? He's, he's, this is a broader conversation that we can really apply to our lives about decision-making. So three questions that kind of come, I think, very naturally from this text that then we can apply to any different decision that we're making. People are making a lot of decisions these days, okay? Can we just put the word vaccine out here, right? I mean, like, wow, man, some people think this, some people think that. I'm still caught in that place in the middle of like, I'm trying to make a a really wise decision. I don't, let's apply it. Let's apply it to this. Or take any decision that you're processing. Should I buy that car, right? Should I date that girl? I don't mean, there's so many different decisions that we might be processing. So let's bring them before the text and let's just ask these three questions. Number one question. Number one question, what does my faith say? What does my faith say? The very final verse in that passage is verse 23 that says, anything that is not done in faith is sin. So pretty important to ask the question right off the bat. Okay, let's start there. What does my faith say about this? Okay, what does this mean? And how can we actually make decisions in faith. The bottom line is that for followers of Jesus, I'm not talking to those of you that maybe have not put your trust in Jesus yet. Well, I'm talking to you, but I mean, I'm applying this to those who have already said, Jesus, you're my number one. I've given you my life. I've received your forgiveness. I'm walking in faith in you. The bottom line is that as believers, we cannot remove our faith in Jesus from any decision that we are making. We can't like divorce the two. Well, Jesus is over here and my faith in him is over here, but over here I'm making these decisions. This is my life. I'm making these decisions outside. No, 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 no. Any any decision that's not processed in faith is gonna end up in sin because we're doing it outside of our faith in Jesus. Because as followers of Jesus, above everything else, first and foremost is this reality. Jesus is Lord. 
Jesus is above everything else in our faith. There's a lot of other things of our faith, but number one, the, the thing that we, that we have to like wrestle through and figure out and put our faith in is that above all, Jesus is Lord. Everything else is downstream from that. Everything else. Every single decision we process is under the decision that I've already concluded, and that's that Jesus is Lord. Amen. Jesus is Lord over my body. Therefore, all of my decisions about sexual activity, okay, for instance, falls under the lordship of Jesus. Jesus is the Lord over my money. So all of my decisions about generosity or purchasing big things or whatever, all of those decisions that my finances are involved in must fall under the lordship of Jesus. And you can just go down the line. Jesus is the Lord over my life. So all the big decisions that I make about where I live, where I'll work, what occupation I'm gonna go into, what ministries I'm gonna grab a hold of, all of those things, who I'm gonna marry, all of those things must be brought under the lordship of Jesus. And as we're processing our faith by submitting our entire lives to Jesus' lordship, what we discover is that he's given us many, many clear things in his word that help guide us on, on our life's journey. So like if we were just to turn back one chapter into Romans 13, this is just an example of like that God's word gives us really clarity on a lot of the decision things that we're gonna have to confront and ask in our lives. And he says here in 13, 13, of Romans, he says, because we belong to the day, we must live decent lives for all to see. Don't participate in the darkness of wild parties and drunkenness or in sexual promiscuity and immoral living or in quarreling and jealousy, right? Those, it's like, those, it's all real clear. He's giving us real clarity. Don't do these things. Those are all outside of the bounds for those people who are living in the light, following after Jesus. He says, instead, clothe yourself with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, as a follower of Jesus who is submitted to Jesus' lordship, God's word rules over my life. On anything where there is clarity about what Jesus has said in his word about any matter, I, I just submit my life to him. It's a matter of obedience on every matter where there is clarity in God's word. So as believers, how do we say how our faith impacts, right, our decisions? We bring them to God's word, you know, first and foremost. We, we bring them there. And our decisions should match up with what we see and discover in the word of God. Because he's already given us clarity regarding what his will is and how he would say, hey, here's what to decide. I'm, I'm, I'm helping you. I'm pulling for you here by showing you the direction that's gonna lead to life and not death. It's gonna help you and bless you and those around you. So, when God's word is clear, 
we would walk in obedience. But how many of you know, like in the topic of vaccines and other things, there's not like, like a clear verse we can turn to where there's, there's not always clarity. Life is complex. And sometimes there's not like a super clear answer to a, a decision we're processing. So question number two, okay? First one is what does my faith say? Second question is this. What other perspective is needed? What other perspective is needed? People who lack perspective can only see things one way. People that lack perspective can only see things one way. But with maturity comes the ability to see more than one thing at a time. Little children do not have perspective, right? They do not have, it's why peekaboo is so darn fun <laughs> with little kids, because they lack perspective. They think you are the greatest magician who has ever lived, right? I'm gone. <laughs> they think you're hilarious. How is that? How are they doing that? Because they lack perspective. They do not have the capacity or the maturity to see that two things can be true at the same time. I can't see you, but I know you're still there, right? Two things, they're both true in that moment. I can't see you, but you're still there. Now, hopefully, all of us have matured beyond the point where we no longer really enjoy personally a good game of peekaboo. Unless we're the one playing it with a toddler. If somebody comes to you and starts playing peekaboo and you like it, there's a problem. <laughs> but how interesting it is that when it comes to our decision-making processes, sometimes we are still playing peekaboo with the facts in front of us. And we lack perspective and we can only see things one way. We're not able to take into consideration those other things. And that's what Paul was addressing here in Romans 14. Look again really quick, just at verse 20, where he said, remember, all foods are acceptable. In other words, you are free to eat whatever you want. You're American. You are free to choose. All, all foods are acceptable. But then he goes on, but, but it's wrong to eat something that makes another person stumble. There's two things going on here. People who lack maturity and lack perspective are those who can only see it one way and they don't take into consideration the other facts at play here. There are two truths at play here. Not one, two. And in some decisions we're processing, there may be three or four or even more than that. Different ways to look at a really important topic or subject that we're trying to process and make decisions about, okay? Those of us that are maturing in our faith are going to seek God by saying, God, would you show me 
take me 360 around this issue that I can make a really good and wise decision ensuring that I really have good perspective about the decision that I'm making. One example where I believe perspective and maturity are needed in this decision-making process is where alcohol is involved. You know, he even mentioned that even way back in, in Romans. He's talking about the food you eat and the wine you drink. Right, it's like it's re real maturity is needed. I, I was in a conversation just a couple of weeks ago with some people at our church. So I said, man, we're, in, in our friends, we're really talking about that. Like what makes sense? What's right? What's wrong? It's, it's one of those places where we really need to see the bigger perspective. In my personal story, I, I was somebody who played peekaboo with the issue of alcohol. I could only see it one way when I was younger. I was raised in a home where we, we didn't have alcohol in our home. And I knew the Bible said, you know, not supposed to be drunk. And so I did this thing where there was only one way. All alcohol is sin. Anybody who drinks alcohol is making a terrible, terrible decision. But is that what God's word says in totality? No, it wasn't until years later that I really discovered, and, and, and some of this started to break, break free in my mind when I was a little bit older, and we'd go to other people's homes from our church, people who I knew loved Jesus. And can, you can imagine the conflict in my soul when I saw wine on their cabinets, <laughs> and there was beer in their fridge. How could this be, right? And then realizing that, oh, Jesus and his disciples, well, they drank wine regularly, right? Regularly. And even Paul writes to his spiritual son Timothy and says, hey, drink some wine for your health. Your tummy's gonna feel better. I was like, oh, two things can be true even at the same time. Drunkenness is wrong. It, 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 it's not part of God's plan for any of his followers. But does that make all alcohol wrong? Can someone enjoy a glass of wine with dinner and not be feeling like they're sinning? Mm-hmm. So, but now we're gonna get to the third question. What, what is our faith saying then? Where is other perspective really needed so I'm making a wise decision? And let's get to this third question because even on the subject of alcohol, it's pretty darn important. And here it is. Number three, how will this impact others? How will this impact others? Because that needs to be part of the perspective that we're gaining. I can refrain from alcohol. I can drink a glass of wine with dinner if I, if I chose to. But you know, how, how does this impact others? And that's part of this perspective. Because my decisions will always impact other people. I am not an island unto myself and neither are you. So are the decisions that we make, they're gonna impact others. So we need to like really pay attention to that. It's like being the captain of a boat and realizing that I am casting a wake behind me, right? Have you ever been like at the lake, like, you know, on the beach enjoying a nice day and here comes some knucklehead like pulling some, you know, a wakeboarder or, you know, they're doing some sort of water skiing and they're not paying attention at all to the people on the shore. 
right in this wake, comes and, you know, knocks you over just about. Because they're not recognizing, hey, that my decisions are casting a wake that other people are going to have to live with. They're just so consumed in their own little Bodhi world, right, that they're not considering others. But my decisions are not just about me. And that's what Paul is getting at here, because in the very next verse, from what we just read, in verse 21 of Romans 14, he says, it is better. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else if it might cause another believer to stumble. And in the beginning of that passage, he even doesn't even have the word believer. He's like anybody, just anybody. If this is causing harm, potentially, might, right? If this potentially is, is gonna have negative impact on others, be very, very careful about the decision you are about to make. Perspective tells us that there's more than one option here. But boy, we need to wrestle through with what is not only permissible, but what is best. And what God's word is telling us here, here's what's best, don't knock other people over with your decisions. Don't harm your neighbor. Don't harm your spouse. Don't harm your children. Right? Don't harm your coworkers. Don't harm your boss by the decisions that you're processing because we're called to love one another and to reflect Jesus through our relationships. So, going back to this conversation about alcohol. Why didn't I grow up with alcohol in my home? Well, it comes from a story when I was really, really young. And I even talked to my dad about it this week just to refresh my memory, make sure I had it right. He goes, no, that's exactly right. Because my dad really enjoyed having a glass of wine with dinner. And there ain't nothing wrong with that. But one time when I was just this little tiny guy, I was on his lap while he was enjoying his glass of wine and I was grabbing the glass trying to get my own taste. And he considered the other. And he started processing, like, if I have alcohol in my home, I could be potentially opening up a door that isn't, Bad for me, my dad wasn't getting drunk, just enjoying a glass of wine with dinner. But he knew that he was potentially opening up a door for me, and he didn't know how that would impact my life. He didn't know what could be the consequence of me having alcohol in the home, and we all know stories of people who grew up with alcohol in their home that experimented wildly with what they found, right? And so my dad made a decision one that he's never regretted, and neither have I, that for him, in his home, we're just gonna eliminate alcohol from the equation at our address. There was never any condemnation when we'd go to friends' homes that they were enjoying a beer or a glass of wine with dinner. There was never any condemnation, no judgment. I never heard coming home, oh man, those people, they just don't have it figured out. They kept it between themselves and the Lord for our home. It was a really well-processed decision based on how will this impact another. I just happened to be the other that my dad was considering in that moment. Listen, that is not a rule for your home. Please hear me. 
There's no pastoral statement here, right? I was hanging out with some others from our church yesterday. Guess what? There was a little bit of whining that was there. Was I offended? Absolutely not. Listen, this is not a rule that somehow pastorally I'm trying to like, you know, put this guilt trip on people saying, hey, you can never have alcohol, but here's what I'm saying. There are a few questions we've got to wrestle through. What does your faith say? As you submit your life under Jesus, and if Jesus is the Lord of your life, what, where, how does that impact the decision you're making? Not just about alcohol, but about anything. How does that impact your decision? Because Jesus is the Lord of your life. Because we cannot make decisions aside from our faith or its sin. Okay? And the second one, how can I gain other perspective? So we turn to the word. We ask God to help us. We, we implore him by his Holy Spirit that he would guide us into all truth. And the Bible's really good about saying if you lack wisdom, ask for it. And that there's wisdom in the counsel of many. So if you lack perspective on a particular subject, whether it's buying a house or drinking a beer with dinner, we could probably help put you together with someone who has got a lot of wisdom in those areas, who could help you. So gain perspective, okay? And then this third thing, how will my decision impact others? So often we get trapped making our own little decisions in our own little bubble and not ask that question, but it's so important because God not only loves you, he loves the people that he's put you in relationship with. He loves them too. And our decisions need to reflect the love that God has for them, not just for ourselves. Can we pray? Lord Jesus, we are so grateful for your word. So thankful, Lord, that your word gives us deep insight into life and the thousands of decisions that we need to process, the big ones and the small ones. Lord, we want to be people who live without regret. Not like I did years ago, just so grief struck over how my decisions impacted another person so painfully. But we wanna live free of that and we wanna live to bless others in your name, to help them, lift them up, even as we're lifted up and encouraged. So Jesus, would you help make us wise and move beyond dumb decision-making, making bad decisions? May we be wise in you. And you know, there may be someone here who when I talked about that tug of war earlier, that you realize when it comes to sin, when it comes to bad decisions, man, you are fighting this battle alone. Because it's just you against hell, right? It's you against sin, it's you against all these urges. And you just know, man, this is a failing effort. What am I doing? Here's what I would encourage you to do. Invite Jesus into your story. Invite him in. Make him the Lord of your life. And what you're gonna discover is he's not there to like rain on your parade or make life miserable for you. He's there with grace and mercy and love and empowerment to help you because he will be the God who is on your side, who is fighting for you, not against you. 
But it starts with, guess what? A decision. It comes down to saying, who is going to be the Lord of my life? And if Jesus isn't the Lord, something or someone else is. So I just simply ask you today, who's the Lord of your life? And if you want to say, I am making a decision today that will help me and shape my tomorrows. I'm making Jesus the Lord of my life. If that's you, I'm just going to ask that you just raise your hand. Nobody else is looking around. Nobody else cares. I do. I, I want to agree with you. And if there's anyone, if I, I'm looking out even into the courtyard, if there's someone there that says, I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life, just kind of wave to me so I can, I can see you. Yeah, absolutely. Praise the Lord. Yeah, I see you over on my side. I agree with you. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. And because of that, he is on our side each and every day to support us, to shower us with his love and his grace and his mercy. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to be together and look at your word today. Lord, I pray blessing and peace, wisdom and grace, Lord, on all who are here, both in person, for those online. You are loved. We'll see you again next Sunday. Before you go, if there's any who want prayer, any who, like me, had a life that was just filled with grief over past decisions, man, what a great place to come today. And for those of you that said yes to Jesus, would you come? Women, we got some awesome women of God up here. Come and receive prayer and chat. Gentlemen, come and see my friend right over here, Frank. Share with them the decision you made. Talk, talk about life. Receive some prayer. And if you're online and you, you can't join us in person today, guess what? You can just join us right over on our website, sm4.org. You're going to find a contact page. Drop a note to us and just say, hey, I made a decision today or I need prayer for this because we are praying people. We got a team of people to intercede and we're going to be praying for you and we'll reach out with whatever we can do to help you as well. You're loved. See you next week.